Well, yeah, again, thank you <clears throat> for uh, 25 years of taking care of us. Um, like I say, you've given us so much more than we've given you. And uh, you've loved Tammy, you've loved me, you've loved our kids in some good days and in some not-so-good days. Um, and I just, yeah, thank you so much, and God is good. And Tammy leaned over to me when, when Rich said the average stay is four to six years and said, does that mean we're supposed to leave 24 years or 20, 18 years ago or something? And I said, I, I, I just hope you tell me when it's time to leave before you have to run me off. So please, please do that. Uh, again, you can see we're going to finish our service with communion this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us and you say, am I invited to join you? We want to say, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then yes, you do. If you know that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for you and that um, he is your only Savior and that you want to live for him, um, then please join us at the table. I just noticed George was here. usually sitting on... George, thank you um, for those, all those years. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have made it without you. So uh, thank you, George, for all you've done. We're going to continue uh, to look at, at the book of Ephesians. And last week we ran into Ephesians 6, verse 12, and uh, decided to slow down a little bit and think about this. What Paul writes here is this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we, we said, you know what, Paul is telling us something important here, that, that not only are we called to fight against the old nature inside of us, but we're also called, and, and we have to recognize that there's a whole other level of battle going on, that there are demons, that there are devils, that there are evil forces that want to stop us. There are spiritual forces of this dark world that want to draw us away from Jesus Christ. And, and, and so we said we needed to think about spiritual warfare. And we're going to do that for uh, last week, this week, and the next uh, three weeks, or two weeks from now as well. Um, three weeks from now as well. And so, uh, you know, it, it's an important subject, and it's one that many of us don't think about very much. As we think about it last week, we said, you know, there are two errors that we have to avoid. There are two dangers in this, in this area of spiritual warfare. Uh, on the one side, again, we talked about saying, w- many of us, and I think for me this is probably the bigger danger, but of underestimating the reality of spiritual warfare. Right, I'm just kind of saying it doesn't exist. There are no real demons. There are no de- Everything just has a natural cause. Yeah, God is there, but God stays in heaven, and, and we do our thing down here, and we try to do our best, but it's pretty much... And, 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 and we end up really denying the reality of the spiritual world in a lot of ways. We, we end up de- denying the, the reality of that, and so we can underestimate the reality of spiritual warfare. On the other side, we can overestimate the reality of spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis talks about both of these things and saying, sometimes we can become convinced that everything that happens is either an angel or a demon, that, that everything is, is demonic, everything is, and, and, and we kind of forget that there are natural causes for things as well. And we said we want to steer our way between these, okay? We want to steer our way between these two dangers, between these two extremes, and, and recognize that, that sometimes things are physical. There are physical causes for things. Sometimes there, there are psychological causes for why we feel the way we do. But sometimes there are moral reasons. Sometimes guilt is what's going on, and, and sometimes for good reason. And, and sometimes it is spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And, and, and so we want to recognize that, that this is part of what we need to think about as we make our way through this world, as we struggle to move forward in this world. So last week we started talking about the enemy, and we said, what is the enemy like? And real quick, um, he, he, we said he was created by God. God is still bigger, all right? The enemy is created by God, created good by God, but then rebelled. Some of those angels chose to rebel. They're, they're, they're smart, powerful, and attractive when they want to be. They can be ugly when they want to be as well. They probably have ranked. We don't know. There's a lot of stuff we don't know about them. But the bottom line is, 
the bottom line is what these spiritual forces of darkness, what these, what these powers of, of evil want to do to us is they want to destroy God's work. They want to destroy us. They know they cannot defeat God. They know they cannot destroy God. They know they cannot stop God. So their passion, their desire is to do as much damage to God's body and on earth, to the church, to you, to me, to do as much damage to each one of us as can possibly be done. Their goal is to destroy God's work. So that's what we said they are, all right? And, and then this morning, as Daniel mentioned in his prayer, we want to talk about, all right, how does the devil work, all right? How, how does the enemy work? What are the, what are the schemes of the devil? That's the phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, verse 11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. In, in the Greek, that word is methodia. It's methods. It's modus operandi. It's the method of operation. Paul says the devil has, has patterns. The devil has ways of working. And, and, and Paul says, you've got to know those things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But, but I want us to remember, again, as we go through this, Paul's purpose in this is not first and primarily to teach us about the devil. Paul's, sometimes, again, we get so obsessed with that part of it. Paul's purpose is to call us to put on the full armor of God. Paul's purpose is to call us to honor Jesus Christ, to grow closer to him. And, and the big issue is not, first and foremost, the devil. The big issue is Jesus Christ and putting on the full armor of God. And so we do need to think about the devil's schemes. And, 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 but you need to come back the next two weeks when we talk about the armor of God, when we talk about how we protect ourselves. So this morning, though, we are going to take some time to say, you know what, how, how does the enemy fight? How does the enemy attack us? How does Satan and his minions, how, do, how does the devil work in attacking us? And, and I want to start by just kind of recognizing two major categories, and I'm going to do the first one really quickly because I don't think we see as much of that. But, but sometimes the devil comes and, and makes a direct attack. Uh, by this, probably the most common thing we think of with this is, is demonic possession, okay? That, that it's possible. I believe it happened in Jesus' day. He cast out demons. I believe it still happens today. I believe that there is such a thing as demonic possession and that the devil can come or a demon can come and, and take over, basically take over somebody and, and have control if that person has given them the, the heart, the seed of, their, of who they are. And, and I think we need to recognize that as a reality. Now, an important thing, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain it and so on, but I, but I want to just say biblically we have to recognize that a Christian can't be possessed. Okay, if you're in Christ, if Christ is living in you, you cannot be demon-possessed. And, and I'm not going to go through Scripture passages to prove all of that, but trust me on that one, okay? And so it does not happen to Christians. That's one of the reasons I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about demonic possessions. But there are, I think, demonic oppressions that can come on Christians. Just to, There are still attacks, and, and what I mean by this is kind of direct threatening, 1 Peter 5 says the, the devil is like a lion roaring. And, and I think sometimes, and, and some of you have said that you have seen these things. Demons and devils in the flesh kind of saying, whoa, this was clear. I, the, he was not hiding. He was not deceiving anything. He was just coming out after it, all right? And, and so there's direct threatening. There's direct temptation. Think of Jesus in the desert. There's direct accusation. Again, this is when we kind of see, we, we see the devil directly, but it doesn't happen as much here. The fact of the matter is, and, and this might sound odd for me to say, but, but it's more common overseas. It's more common overseas. I've, I've, I've had discussions with missionaries and a number of folks who have, have, have talked about this. And, and one of my questions for them is, why do you tell me about all these demons you cast out in Africa and you don't do it in L.A.? or you don't do it in West Michigan, or you don't do it wherever we are. I, I don't understand this. Why do you tell me it's, 
And, and, and for the most part, the answer is one that many of you can probably come up with on your own. What, what they will say is, hey, look, it, Satan is really happy if we think he doesn't exist. Right? I mean, he's not going to attack us directly as often here because if we're sleeping and don't think the spiritual world exists and if our culture doesn't think the spiritual world exists, then he's going to be happy to let us sleep. He's going to be happy to just let things be the way they are. And so that's the understanding, and I think it makes some sense. And again, I've talked to a number of you who have experienced this on mission trips or on other places where you've been, where you've seen it much more direct in cultures where they believe in the spirits more than we do, where they're more aware of spiritual warfare. In those kind of cultures, then the devil tends to say, all right, you know I'm here, now I'm going to just do my work. But for those of us who are kind of like saying, yeah, we don't believe in that stuff, he's like, fine. Fine, you don't have to worry about it, all right? So there's those direct attacks, and I don't want to say anything more about that. If you want me to, we can follow up another time. I think more often what we run into with, with, with the devil and where we get attacked, where demons attack us, are indirect attacks, right? In, in these kind of attacks, what happens is the, the, the devil comes to us in disguise, comes to us in disguise. He doesn't, like I said, that's why I talked about last week of how beautiful the, Lucifer was, how beautiful Satan was before he fell, right? Because he was just fantastic looking. And when he shows up in the garden, it's not like Adam and Eve were like, well, this guy's really ugly. No, the, the serpent, I'm sure, was attractive. And, and, and when evil comes to us, when temptation comes to us, most often it comes in a form that it looks really good. And so Satan comes to us most often in disguise. He doesn't want us to know that he's there. He doesn't want us to know that he's working on us. And so he comes in disguise. And, and then I think it's, it's helpful for me to recognize that he uses what's there. I, I don't think we have to, you know, I don't think the devil has to plant a lot of thoughts in our heads and so on. Because guess what? This head is pretty messed up as it is. There's plenty of sinful thoughts in this head. There's plenty of sinful desires in this heart. And, 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 and so he, he uses what's there, okay? He, he takes that. We live in a broken world, all right? And so he's got, he's got natural disasters. He's got diseases. He's got cancers. He's got all of these things. And, and my, as I look at it, he, he uses those things. He focuses on those things. He uses what's already there. And, and, and come on. Yeah, we live in a broken world, and then also, really, we do have, there it is, the old nature is still within us. Is this not working? We'll see. All right. So the old nature is still within us. Uh, again, so I think that what we have to recognize is what, what Satan most often likes to do is, is he likes to take an evil thought and then blow it, in, and, and he turns that ember into a flame. And, 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 and so he takes what's already there and he turns that ember into a flame, all right? So indirect attack. And, and I've been trying to figure out how to organize this all week. And, and this is what I've come up with. And, and, and so hopefully this will kind of help you. I want to talk about four areas where, where he attacks indirectly, all right? The first one is probably the most common one. The one that I think we need to be most aware of is that he attacks our minds, all right? He, he, he plants thoughts. He encourages thoughts. He whispers into our ear. Again, angels could communicate. They were created to be messengers of God. So demons can communicate. They can bring messages, but not from God. And so, so demons can come, and they, and they do it. And, and the first one is one that doesn't sound bad at all, but I want to suggest that it is one of the ways, and, and I don't want to say demonic, horrible, but, but it's one of the ways the devil just loves to work, and that is by distraction. 
just by distraction, just by drawing our attention to something that we shouldn't have it on or drawing it attention from where it, our attention from where it should be. I think the devil just loves to get us distracted. He, he wants us to have spiritual ADD, so to speak, right? He wants us to kind of just continually be gone, drawn all over the place. We see this in the very first temptation. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And that's Satan, right? He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, okay, so, so Eve is there. Picture the scene. Eve is there. She's in the garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. There are colors you and I have never seen. There are smells you and I have never smelled. It is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. It is, it is just gorgeous. Thousands of trees, thousands of live things. It's all there. And the serpent just comes up and says, so God said you can't eat from any of this? And what does Eve do? Eve says, oh, no, 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 no. The, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Oh, which one? That one. Oh, that tree, really? You must not touch it or you will die. And, 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 and I think what, what Satan does there is gets Eve to focus on the one thing she can't have. And that is so often what Satan wants to do in our lives. He wants to get us to just notice what we don't have. He wants to get us to notice what, what is not available for us at this time or shouldn't be for us at this time. And he wants us just to kind of say, do you notice that? Do you notice what that looks like over there? And, 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 and once we get there, you know what that's like. When that kind of enters your mind, sometimes you can't think of anything else. All you can see is what you don't have. All you can see is what you can't have. And it just, it's just so powerful. It's just so difficult. And so distraction is, is just amazing. I mean, think about it. Just I was thinking about it in a church service. Right? Daniel gets up to do announcements and he, uh, whatever, and, and, and then he's going to do a greeting from God. And you think, did he get a haircut? Did, did, did Daniel get a haircut? And, and, and it's like, there's no greeting from God right now, right? Uh, you know, and you look down and, and, and you say, you know, is, is, is this a spot on the carpet? Where are there other ones? I wonder who spilled here. Did I ever spill here? And all of a sudden you're gone on that. You know, or, or you look front at this front wall, right? And it's like, you know, how many blocks are there on the front wall? You ever do? I mean, I, but you don't have to count them. They're 73 and a half and 31 high. Okay, that's how many there are because I already did, not during Daniel's sermons, but I came here on Friday and counted blocks. But right, I mean, all of a sudden, our mind, we just kind of are floating around. How often don't we find ourselves doing that? Or maybe something like this. You know, is that Bob so-and-so in church? What's he doing here? Oh, I hope he doesn't. Oh, I hope their family doesn't come here. Oh, he is such a pain. Oh, man, I just, what is he doing here? And you just, right? And, and, and you're off on that. Or maybe some of you, you know, of, oh, look at that. It looks like Mary got another new dress she wants to show off. And I'm not saying that demons, yeah, but I, I, I mean, our minds are going all over. But that's the kind of stuff that, that the devil wants to say, you know, yeah, just notice that. Just notice what everybody's wearing. No, notice what everybody's looking like. Notice who's here and remember what you don't like. And, and, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a worship service, unable to think about God, or not at least not really trying. We're not thinking about God. We're thinking about everything else. And, and it can be so challenging and so difficult because the devil is there just kind of, again, I, I, that picture of saying, you can't eat from any of these trees. Oh, no, just that one. Oh, the pretty one. Yeah, purple fruit, really nice, isn't it? And, and, and it's like, uh, we look at our houses and we see the one next to it that's nicer. 
we, we try to pray and we get distracted by a hundred different things. You know, we say the, that, that, that idleness, is, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? That when we're doing nothing, the de- sometimes I think the devil really would rather have us be busy all the time. For some of us, God can call us to, to, to a ministry of some sort, but we're just too distracted by work. We're too distracted by, by other things. And, and, and so it happens at so many different levels. That, that, that just distraction, that's all it takes. The devil doesn't care if we sin boldly. Or if we sin smallly, he just wants us on the sidelines. He just wants us stopped. So distraction. Uh, another one then, and I think, again, this, this is the one we're going to spend the most time on, so don't worry about it, these, this first part on the minds. But, but distortion. Distortion. The devil is the father of lies. He takes what we see, and then he starts to spin it around. John 8, verse 44 says this. Come on. Can we... Here we are. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. This is Jesus speaking. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All right? And, 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 and so sinfulness, it, it starts with that. What, what the devil does is he takes kind of what we see, and then he distorts it, and he, and he twists it, and he turns it into something that, that he deceives us about it. And, and, and again, just real quickly, some things he does with that. He, he distorts what we see, all right? So that when we see Mary in her new dress, let's go back to Mary. When we see Mary in her new dress, we don't just see a new dress. We see the price tag. You ever been able to do that where you see the price tag? That's a $250 dress. I, that might not be much. Is it a $1,000 dress? I don't know. But whatever, it's more expensive than a dress you bought. And you can see that. And, and Mary doesn't just wear it. She looks smug wearing it. And, and, and the devil's going to take what we see, and he's going to distort it so that pretty soon Mary is actually, in our minds, parading in the front of, on the auditorium, say, just doing a pirouette to show off her dress. Now, Mary might actually be deep in prayer, but we see her through distorted eyes, right? We see her, and, and what we see is arrogance and brashness and all this stuff. And we can't see her for who she really is anymore. We can't see stuff for what it really is anymore. We cannot see those sorts of things, and we start to lose that. And so it's what we see. And and then of our needs, think of how often this becomes a problem. Of our needs. You know what? I mean, you need a new car. You need, a man has needs, right? I get to sleep with a girl because a man has needs. God will understand. I got needs. And, 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 and. And, and, and we start to just believe that we need all this stuff. And again, part of what's going on there, again, I'm sinful, and, and I'm greedy, and I'm self-centered by myself. But then what the devil does is he takes that, and he burns those thoughts, and he blows them up. And, and he says, you know, come on, Ron, you deserve this. You deserve more than this, all right? And, and it's just, you know, of our needs and of what we deserve, and he distorts that. And, and, and again, you know, you can't, you can't live without this thing. All right, so we have, of, of what we see, of our needs, a, a distortion of what something or activity can do for us. It's a boring way of saying it, but he, but he promises us the moon. You know, again, with Adam and Eve, we go back to the garden and, and what Satan says about that tree. He says, you know what? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That, that's, you will be like God. You will be happy. If you do this, you will fill that empty place in your soul. That's what I'm talking about, saying, of, of what some things and activities can do for us. The, the, the devil wants to just kind of make it seem like if we just had this, if we just do this, if we just do this, somehow 
will be happy and promising us something or some thought or some whatever it is. That it just, he promises us the moon. And, and, and then, yeah, uh, he hides the negative results of something or activity. He, he hides the hook, right? And, and so we, we don't even see what's going to happen. You won't get caught. You won't get caught. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody will understand and, and so that fishing analogy is so good about the way the devil, again, he, he puts the bait out there and, and, and he hides the hook just like a good fisherman does. You know, and, and it just, you know, it's not going to be a problem. And, and there is so much distortion. Maybe that's why the first, first part of the, the, the armor of God is the belt of truth, right? That's why I say we're doing this, but aware of, of the schemes of the devil. So there's distraction, distortion. Um, and, and, and then the, the next one that he does on our minds, he's so nasty because the next one is accusation. He, he says to us, you won't, get, you, got, you won't get caught. And as soon as we do it, you know what he says? You're a fool. How could God love you? Look at what you did. You are such an idiot. This was so obviously wrong. This was so... And, and, and the devil accuses. That is one of his most powerful... Again, he doesn't care what we do as long as we're sidelined. As, as long as we're on the sidelines, he wants us out of there. And if he can overwhelm us with guilt, if he can overwhelm us with that, if he can tell us, you know what, Jesus died, this table, yeah, it's for everybody else, but you're not good enough to receive it. Go ahead and take it because you don't want to be embarrassed, but it's really not for you because Jesus doesn't love you. And, and some of us struggle with, with so much guilt. Look, look at what, again, Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, that's Satan, all right? That's the dragon has been thrown down. He is the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. But uh, you know, that idea of, of Satan as an accuser, and, and some of you struggle with that so much. You say, I could never serve in a ministry in church because I'm too guilty. I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. I'm too much of this. I'm too much of that. And it's really just the devil reminding you that it's the devil accusing you of all of that. So there's, there's accusation. So he makes indirect attacks on our minds. Second one is related to this, but, but on our emotions, all right? He, he uses our emotions and and, and again, he wants to sideline us. Now, I want to be clear about something here. This is not necessarily that, that, that these things are all sinful, but they can be disabling. All right? It's not a sin to be sad. It's not a sin to, to, to have doubt. It's not a sin necessarily to feel these things, but the problem is they can become overwhelming. Think about it. Uh, you know, sadness. And, and there are times to be sad. We live in a broken world. That's what, but what happens is, is the devil wants us to hold on to that sadness, wants it to so overwhelm us, wants us to be so... Oh, just, just controlled by that sadness that we can't move anymore. Now, again, not all sadness is caused by it's a spiritual warfare, okay? Some of it's chemical. Some of it's depression. That's a chemical matter. And, 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 and so that's why we can't be simplistic here. But, but we've got to understand that, that, that the devil wants to keep us uh, just feeling like there is no hope. There is no, there, and, and it's always going to be bad. And so sadness or fear, again, the devil goes around like a, a roaring lion. And, and, and he just wants to stop us. He just wants to... Think of how much fear stops us from doing things. Think of how much you don't dare to do because you're afraid. And, and say, is some of that from the devil? Do I need to put on the full armor of God, knowing that God will take care of me, knowing that God will be with me? Do I need to have on God's armor so I can fight against fear or worry, anxiety. 
The devil loves, and you know, so many things to worry about. Now, again, and, and I'll just tell all of you this. If some of you know this, some of you don't, but we're friends, right? You said you love me. Um, I mean, I, I take a little pill called Zoloft every day, and I pray about anxiety, but guess what? God gave me Zoloft, and it really helps. And it's one of the ways God, it, it's, it's, there's part of my anxiety, it's just chemical. It is. And I think I could have prayed till the cows came home. And I could have lived with anxiety. But I'll tell you this. God gave me this gift of this. And, and it doesn't help me become somebody else. It helps me become more of who he created me to be. So again, I want to pray about it. I want to look for any, if my anxiety's got a, a, a spiritual force to it or a psychological force to it. But I also think, you know, for me on this one, it was primarily, a lot of it was, was just a physical thing with receptors in the old brain that weren't working right. All right? And that's why, again, we have to recognize. But again, there can be a cause of worry, anxiety, doubt can be, uh, you know, related to this. Unresolved anger. Paul, earlier in Ephesians, had said, you know what? In your anger, do not sin. Do not go to bed angry. And then he said, don't give the devil a foothold. So somehow in our anger, it gives the devil a foothold because he can kind of keep pushing on that. All right, speaking of pushing, we got to move, all right? So on our emotions, on our bodies, again, I don't think this happens quite as much, but we got to recognize 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A lot of our body ailments are just physical, Okay. But pray, partially because it might well be something like this. Now, interestingly, God didn't take away Paul's thorn in the flesh. He said, Paul, I'm going to let that be there to remind you that you need me. And, and, and so, again, when we think about spiritual warfare, it's not... Sometimes when people do this, the people who are excessive on it kind of say, if you name the right name of God, and if you pray in the right prayer, and if you have enough people praying, then it's going to happen. It didn't happen for Paul, and I can't have as much faith as Paul did. He's just really good, and I'm not. So, you know, sometimes you just got to say, it's okay. You'll win someday, all right? So, got to keep moving here. And then the last one, he attacks the church. Satan attacks the church. Three ways he does this. First, and this is where I really say, please pray for Daniel, pray for me, pray for any of us who teach here, because the devil loves false teaching. All right, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through pastors and other teachers, who he calls here hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Friends, this is a kind of passage that I think about. I'm saying, God, please, please help me to preach the gospel. Help me to be teaching what you call me to teach and to hear your words. First John 4, verse 1. Dear, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And, and, and so again, the devil can sideline a whole church when, when we get into to false teaching. And it's interesting because biblically, this can be either very liberal false teaching or overly conservative. In Timothy, what he goes on to say is, you know, those who say you can't get married and you can't have sex and you can't have fun, they're from the devil. You know, they were too tight. <laughs> so that can, that can be from the devil as well. And so, uh, so false teaching, the second one uh, that he attacks the church is division. All right, but if you... 
harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. That's what causes division in churches, right? Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from heaven, but is earthly, spiritual, or unspiritual, and demonic, all right? And so Paul, again in Ephesians, has said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I think it's interesting. I'd like to talk about it more, but false teaching and division. What's really hard <laughs> is, is to, to be discerning about false teaching, but accepting and loving enough about not causing division. Because false teaching requires division, and division requires acceptance. So how do we know where we're doing one and where we're doing the other? That's where we need the armor of God. You see, you've got to come back next week. All right, and then, and then the last one, persecution. Again, just mention this one, and, and do not be afraid, Revelation 2.10, of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will get, put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. The fact is we see the church being persecuted around the world. Behind all of that, I do believe it's, the devil is, is pushing that. The devil is, is doing that. And so the, the, the devil attacks the church, all right? This is what we face. And like I said at the end last week, this ought to call us, cause us great concern. Not necessarily fear, but great concern because what we need to know is that we cannot win this battle on our own. You simply can't. You are not smart enough and you are not strong enough. And that's why Paul says to us over and over and over again, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's part of what we do when we come to this table, all right? As we come to this table, part of what we do is we put on the armor of God, the belt of truth, and, and, and the breastplate of righteousness. We put on Christ's righteousness here. We say, clothe me, Jesus. Give me the helmet of salvation. Give me the sword of the Spirit. Fill me and give me your strength. This table is part of how we put on the armor of God. And, and, and so it is so great for us to be able to celebrate this this morning. We're going to sing songs during this. The first one is going to be the power of the cross, and especially when we get to this stanza. It's the third stanza. I want you to just be thinking about this victory that we have. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death, and life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. Death is crushed to death. The armor of God is the armor of a victor. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. And those accusations all fall away. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and uh, know that we are so easy prey on our own for the devil. We make so many mistakes. But you call us to put on the armor of God. So now as we come to your table, as we taste and feel and drink the power of the cross, let us put on that armor to know that in you there is strength. Amen.